Hey, Dame. What's up? Do you know what today's date is? <sighs> Not exactly. It's like February something. It is February. It's the shortest month of the year. Mm-hmm. I think that means it's Black History Month. Ah. Boom, boom, boom. So for all you Black History buffs, <laughs> <laughs> go down to the Apple Store. It's a celebration of Black History Month. Learn from dynamic creators who are changing cultural narratives through visual arts, photography, poetry, dance, film, and more. Join creative sessions to connect, collaborate, and be inspired from February 1st to the 29th. And I'm here to vouch. For those of you that are skeptical of Black History Month and like, who are these people? The Apple Store folks are cool. We were hanging out with them all last month. Did a great series. I'm rocking with them. I'm trusting their Black History stuff. That's Go do bold. it. That is bold. Here's a couple. Here's a, here's a couple things I got. I just going. went out on the limb. For, for <laughs> Yikes. Here's a couple things they got going on this month. There's a video lab talking about how to use video and civic engagement on the eighth from two to three p.m. Then Melody Angel is hosting a music lab showing y'all how to create a blues track. Then our good friends from 60 Inches from Center, shout out Tempest, Squat. are doing an exclusive on archiving your own story. Oh, that man. sounds right up That's something we should go to. And then the wonderful Roy Kinsey Boom. doing a music lab on crafting your musical memoir. And then another Ergo alum, Rach Jackson, doing some narratives in music on the 26th. So it's going to be another good month at the Apple Store. This limb is working pretty well for me. I'm standing on this branch. It's a bunch of our people up there, so go check it out. Visit apple.co slash blackhistorymonth2020 to reserve your spot. Hey. Welcome to Ergo. You are here. Damon, you're wearing a watch. I am. I know, listeners, that doesn't matter to you, but I've never seen you in a wa- with a watch on before. Yeah, my papa gave it to me. He had one similar, and I was like, oh, that's nice, trying to compliment him on the mm-hmm. cool, and then he got an extra one and gave it to me. Shout out to Pops. Yeah. And shout out to you, yes, even me. if you haven't given us any jewelry. <laughs> uh, what we do here is showcase the folks reshaping the culture of Chicago and the world for the more equitable and creative. And I think we did it today. Mission accomplished. Yep. And not even like how Bush said mission yeah, accomplished, yeah, yeah. like actual this mission accomplished. This is an accomplished. accomplished mission. Yeah. Yeah. And we accomplished this mission with the help of our lovely partners, the the homies, blackyouthproject.com. Shout out. If you have a tab open, if you have a browser, just just open the website right now. You're You're bound to be rewarded. It is an amazing space and platform of young black writers from around the country and world talking about issues affecting black people, young and old, uh, some political, some cultural, and everything in between. Spend some time, become smarter, become more well-rounded. Check out blackyouthproject.com and come to our event in partnership with blackyouthproject.com. Tell them about it, Daniel. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> So we're really excited. On February 26th is the first of our three-part live event series called Unelectable that we're doing with BYP. Basically, we're connecting electoral politics and radical imagination, exploring the ways that they might actually be able to be in concert rather than contradiction, um, and how do we build a unelectable platform that pushes our world towards transformative change. Have you been politically aware? Have you been feeling like the things that you care about are always marginalized and they say we can't talk about it because it's unelectable? Well, we're going to talk about it. So the 26th, 
That's next Wednesday, if you're listening to this, the day it drops. February 26, 2020, we are at the Silver Room in Hyde Park, where we did our first live events ever. We're going to have Alderman Jeanette Taylor there. We're going to have Chicago Teachers Union Vice President and Political Director Stacey Davis Gates there. And what we're going to be doing is exploring how we can fight to protect the public. So defining what that term means, defining what does that struggle look like, and how do we make sure that that's present in the politics that we build on a local and national scale. I'm super excited. Uh, We're going to also have guest host partner Asha Ransby-Sporn is going to be in the house. Okay. Check her out from the Spotlight series to get familiar if you are not already in tune. So the event's free, 8 p.m. Boom. 26th at the Silver Room, come through. RSVP at Ergo Radio on all platforms. And now we have an amazing conversation for you with organizer from the legendary Coco. Jawanza Malone was here with us. We had a great conversation um, talking about the legacy of Fred Hampton. Um, We went deep into the history of Coco and the diet hunger strike and the Obama CBA agreement. It's a wonderful lens through which to understand the role that organizing has and can play in our city and beyond from someone who's like really knows his shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thank you, Jawanza, for coming through, being in conversation with us. Uh, let's, without further ado, get to this conversation. Yeah. We're here with a special guest. Yes, as we always. are. Our guests are always special. This Except person. for that one time. <laughs> yeah, they weren't that the special. The normal ass guests. <laughs> yeah, just way too normal. <laughs> <laughs> we are but so excited to be in the studio. Here for a treat today. I'm excited. We have organizer Joanza Malone in the building. So, that's a new one. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So once we get super weird like that, we, we got to like include people. What's your walk up animal sound as you bust into the spot? <laughs> uh, a bust of rhymes or rawr. Oh, oh, the dungeon dragon. Yeah. Is what <laughs> <the end>. <laughs> <laughs> that was complete as Great answer. All right. Now our, our formal, formal beginning. It's a two part question. Okay. So in this time, how was the world treating you? How are you treating the world? Mm, I like that. All right. So I'll say the the world is treating me fair. Mm. Uh, and I would like to think that I am treating the world fair as well. Damn. There it is. No one's ever said that. Just equity. Just give and take. <laughs> Every, in fact, most people are like, something's out of balance. Yeah, it's yeah, unfair yeah, yeah, yeah. in favor or against. <laughs> yeah. Most people feel out of balance. Okay. So let's talk about that that balance. What Where, where does... This fair treatment you receive, like where where do you see that the most tangibly? So you're asking me this is a real interesting time. Um, mm-hmm. I have a ten year old who is turning eleven mm-hmm. next week. Happy early birthday! <laughs> well, thank you. I'll pass that along. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so a lot of our time is spent with him trying to understand his transition <laughs> from being a baby to a man. <laughs> Feels like a transition a lot of us are constantly going through in our life. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he's feeling it in, in a special kind of way, partially because I'm constantly pushing him mm-hmm. to, to try to figure that stuff out. Um, in the midst of it, as he's learning, is forcing me to reflect and learn and grow in, in different ways. And so, you know, last week we had a really tough week. Mm. He got challenged in some ways, was challenged me in some ways. And so we emerged out of it, I think, stronger and better. 
And so I think that's that's what life is, right? Life isn't, in my opinion anyway, you know, this sort of rainbows and unicorns experience where mm-hmm. it's just life is just grand 24-7. Mm-hmm. There's going to be times when you're not feeling it, mm-hmm. right? And so what do you do with that? You know, how do you use those experiences to move you forward uh, so that you can show up better in your life and the lives of the other people around you? I'm really interested by this. I don't got no kids, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm trying to like stand in that for a good little second. I'm trying to hold that. Hold, down. hold it down. Hold it down. <laughs> that is bro. a role. Yeah, yeah, hold yeah, it we down. Need it. Um, but but <laughs> from my outside looking in, you know, the way I understand parenting, and definitely like those who I see who are very intentional mm-hmm. in their parenting, it feels like a a, a always a correction or mm-hmm. a readdressing. Mm-hmm. I hear like the nuance of like it challenged him and it challenged me in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I imagine that was not the norm for your upbringing. Just kind oh, of knowing no. the decades that <laughs> that you might have lived in. And so, just timeline wise, you know, as you are mm-hmm. as you are raising this this young boy who's becoming a young man, mm-hmm. um, what are some of the recorrections or readdressing, whether it's personal or communal, that like you are creating new methods or practices in terms mm. of how you All nurture right. and parent? Yeah. See. Y'all are definitely trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> uh, I imagine my mom would never hear this, so, yeah. so I might be She's safe. a big list podcast listener. <laughs> <laughs> Just all the podcasts. Uh, Pod Save America. As, as long as Judge Radio shows stay yeah. on TV uh-huh. and uh, don't go okay. to a podcast, we're good. we're good. I heard Judge Joe Brown got a podcast. Uh-oh. 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 She, she might start making that track. Um, <laughs> but I had the stereotypical... Black experience, right? Mm-hmm. More than just don't speak until spoken to. It was just like being in serfdom, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's like mm-hmm. your parent is the ruling lord, mm-hmm. and you better not get out of, out of line, mm-hmm. right? And so, while I understand sort of why that was the case and and respect it, right? Um, there are times when I give Timothy the look, and he knows what the look means, <laughs> right? But I, what I try to do with him uh, in terms of that correction is, and I you know, I say to people, like, he is not my property. Yeah, He is his own human being that was blessed to this planet to serve a purpose. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm the steward, mm-hmm. right? It's, just, it's my job to make sure he's able to do what it is he was sent here to do. And that understanding shapes how we interact mm. right like i so saturday this i guess this is becoming therapy um so let's, <laughs> let me earn my money here um yeah no make make good use of it yeah, yeah, yeah. all right okay cool and well, we'll see well, you well, next, next thursday in there. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna become a series uh-huh. Uh-huh. um working with juanza <laughs> saturday uh we had a little bit of a breakdown again this is on the tail end of just a rough week mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so i i lost it just mm-hmm lost it Mm -hmm. and i apologized i was Mm -hmm. like dude i lost my temper i apologize i didn't mean to yell at you right and it's like that never (laughs) happened (laughs) right growing up it's like my mom dad aunt whoever could have been dead wrong and knew they were dead wrong and i'm sure they were sorry but they (laughs) don't even know they maybe right (laughs) was all right well you, you shouldn't have made been, me make a mistake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's that makes sense. <laughs> you wasn't doing that shit in the first place. I was, right, <laughs> right. 
<laughs> and so it's just, you know, how how do I approach this, this young brother mm-hmm. as a human being? Like, yeah, what man. would I want, mm-hmm. right? And just, I mean, getting extra sappy, right? There was, I don't know, a few weeks back, uh, something went down, and I got him a card. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I love you, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. And he broke down, oh. right? Like, like he like straight, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it's like that's the experience I want to have, yeah. right? It's like I don't want him to treat me like the ruling authority, yeah. right? I want to be respected, mm-hmm. right? And you got to protect him sometimes from himself, right? But... I want us to have a real relationship, mm-hmm. so yeah. that when he becomes an adult, he knows what a real relationship is mm-hmm. and ain't out here just bogus, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I want to connect that to the work. Because right? mm-hmm. we're obviously going to talk a lot about Coco and other things mm-hmm. that, that that you are connected or interested in. But just like that transition that you're making within your household yeah. and within your body generationally from, you use the word stereotypical, I would say it was kind of the norm mm-hmm. um, of this like absolute dominance, adultist structure yeah. that yeah. many, if not most of our people mm-hmm. were nurtured in and now transitioning to this more like humanizing mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. relationship building mm-hmm. model. Do you think that old norm affected people's ability and capacity to do the work and gather? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and what do you feel like the shifts that you're um, implementing in your own household, if that were mm-hmm. a collective project, how could that transform people in terms of being able to do the type of organizing work that that Coco represents? Big question. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm going to come at it from this angle. I like it. The other part of growing up black... <laughs> um, was you don't get in white folks' business. Mm. And so as I Mm. grew in my sort of political understanding and sort of social consciousness, in high school, I was raised by my grandmother. Mm -hmm. As I, you know, felt the need to assert myself, you know, more and share what I was learning and you know, trying to figure out ways to act on what I'm learning. She got real fearful. <laughs> and it took me years to unpack all this stuff, and I'm still unpacking aspects of it. But I grew up in Maywood. Mm-hmm. Maywood is the childhood home of Fred Hampton mm-hmm. Sr. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was, you know, born in Blue Island, but moved to Maywood when he was little and famously is known as a 13-year-old leading a march through mm-hmm. Maywood. <laughs> um, and so... Like, Fred Hampton looms large, Mm. even though to a lot of people, it's like people don't even know who dude is, right? But even, you know, having a swimming pool named after him Mm. that was, you know, shut down for a number of years, Mm. who he is and his legacy is is almost like an urban legend, (laughs) right? It's it's like you got some some myth building, yeah. Yeah. Um, And so she lived through that Mm -hmm. in Maywood. After we began to come to terms with stuff, she told me, like, I knew when, you know, he got trumped up on those charges of robbing the ice cream, you know, truck guy. Like, he didn't rob him. But because of what he was saying, like, just his words, Mm -hmm. right, in addition to what he was starting to do, Mm -hmm. he got arrested and thrown in jail. (laughs) And her fear was, if I journey down this path... Mm. That could potentially be my outcome, right? But she talked about like in early in the morning, him having guys in the neighborhood on the playground of school where I went to school, where my mm-hmm. mom went to school, my aunts and uncles went to school, 
exercising, you know, <laughs> six o'clock in the morning doing jumping jacks and push-ups outside, right? You know, she talked about when, you know, the riots or rebellion or, um, you know, whatever word you want to use broke out after King was murdered. Again, in Maywood, the trains were pulled onto the train tracks to block Maywood off from the neighboring communities. Wow. So blocking us from Melrose Park in particular, mm-hmm. uh, which was mob organized and ran. So literally and they turned the trains to blockade the road. They pulled the, pulled the trains up mm-hmm. to, to separate Maywood from Merrill's Park in wow. particular. And National Guardsmen were stationed on top of the trains mm-hmm. with their right. rifles directed into Maywood. Not into Merrill's Park. Right. Into Maywood. And again, she lived through that experience. Right. Right. And so in her mind, here's this boy who she loves dearly who she sacrificed for at one point, worked three jobs to make sure it was taken care of. And now he's getting into white folks' business, <laughs> right. right? And could end up shot or in jail for the rest of his life or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that fear that black moms, you know, carry mm-hmm. in raising their children is something that sort of, um, you can sort of extrapolate that out mm-hmm. yeah. to the broader community. Yeah. And the fear we all walk with, you know, 60% of my job is helping us realize we can actually win. (laughs) That's the majority of it. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's it's been bred into us that we can't Mm -hmm. and that we shouldn't, not only that we can't, but we shouldn't. We shouldn't even try. Right. Whew, you gave me goosebumps with some of those. That was just very vivid. Um, I, I want I want to entry into this getting into white folks' business. Uh-oh. Yeah, no, let's stay there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's some business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I just love that language of like getting in white folks' business and mm-hmm. like that being, you know, even if it's not legislated, that being against our social law mm-hmm. for so much mm-hmm. of our history. Uh, and so, when did you start breaking that law? <laughs> I've always been a rule breaker. <laughs> uh, maybe that makes me decent at what I do. Um, but it was it was in high school for me. And again, you know, all context. Let me is you went important. to Proviso East. Is that what you? Yep. Shout out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went to Michael Finley camp there for like four or five oh, yeah. years in the summer. So I have a very deep. I got an uncle. You know the gym with, deeply. But I, yeah, and like they had two, three different gyms, so we had to walk yep. through the whole school th- through the summer. So it's two deep, or three different gyms. Yep. They had, yeah. Yeah. They got three gyms in there. It's yeah. a huge school. It's huge. That's my guy. I Were mean, you around with Finley? Yes, we yeah, were. Yeah. Like the whole four years, we uh, we yeah. were in classes together. He, I mean, this great guy. This might sound a little suspect. It is what it is. He actually went, so, you know, he was, of course, part of the Three Amigos, mm-hmm. and, you know, they were rocking. When they went to, uh, you know, the Quad Cities mm-hmm. for the tournament, he actually took my class ring with him because I had a dope class ring. <laughs> it was dope. I thought I was super fly back in the day. Oh, man. But he, he was rocking my, my <laughs> class ring. Cause we was, I That's mean, we boy. was just crew, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, running in the streets, just, you know, young black kids doing what we do. You know, it wasn't... You, like, allowed him to borrow your drip briefly? <laughs> I mean, he was. I mean, he was one of the three amigos, so it right. kind of it was it was symbiotic. It was right? a, it was a reciprocal drip. Yeah, it was, it was like yeah. Jay Z wearing Jazz's chain. Exactly. Right. <laughs> right. See, but in the Quad Cities. Yeah. <laughs> hey, slightly, slightly hey. different. But we have to go stunt on them. You exactly. From, from, from there it is. They would slash the city. You yeah. go out there. You, you got to let them know. 
Yeah. Oh, man, D, get it. He get it. Davenport didn't know what was in yeah. it. <laughs> so, fun, fun, Quad Cities fun fact. There are five Quad Cities. Whoa. Moline, mm. East Moline, Davenport, Rock Island, and the last one, Bettendorf. So they Bettendorf expanded like way after the other ones, and they uh-huh. were like, "We're gonna call it the Quint Cities." And they're like, "People were like, nah. hell no, <laughs> that ain't like, gonna work." East Moline is the one that that should have been. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got the lick up right. It's like right. that's it's like that's a neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so you and Michael Philly was rocking, right, right, and, right. and at this time you was learning to to break rules. And so, <laughs> you know, the, again, the time period, right? This, we're talking about the early '90s, mm-hmm. late '80s, mm-hmm. golden era of hip hop, right. and so you got. You know, KRS-One, you know, at the time, Boogie Down Productions on the radio. You got um, Public Enemy blowing up, right? Yeah. You got Paris. A lot of people forget about Paris, right? And, you know, YZ, mm-hmm. the jazz, mm-hmm. you know, back when Jay-Z was just a sidekick, yeah. right? As teenagers, we're digesting all of this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the the rap music. We're singing the rap lyrics on our way to school, back from school, Watching the movies on TV at the time, every book was about Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, That's a very funny way to say it. Even books that weren't about Malcolm X were about Malcolm right, X. Right. It's like, you know, I saw Malcolm X walking down the street one day. I'm going to write a book about it. Right. <laughs> and so we're taking this in, and it, at some point, it has to come out. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, the crew I was with, when the prices in the cafeteria went up, we organized a boycott. Mm. I mean, I don't think it lasted the whole lunch period, but we did it, right? We started a, a black student union. Now, I mean, it was a majority black school, but everybody else got a black student union. We want to have a black student union too, right? And so it was just through high school as we're figuring out the world and the world is impacting us, we're trying to figure out our way in it. Mm-hmm. And so it just began to get dribbled out in these different ways. And so for me... Once I got to college, it was about trying to continue that work uh, that I started. You know, it was like a door opened Mm -hmm. and I I walked through and I didn't see any reason to go back the other Mm -hmm. other direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The imparted fear or anxiety that your grandma was framing, did that register for you? And now looking back on it, like, obviously you're very empathetic to her experience Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you think about that emotion now, based on how you were taking it in or choosing not to then? Yeah. So, you know, part of why I want to bring the, the context in is because it was, again, I'm a teenager at mm-hmm. this point. Mm-hmm. And so there is a, a, a certain element of rebellion yeah, that yeah. comes with that mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I just felt like the call was greater than the fear, <laughs> right? It's like, I mean, as a kid... I mean, I remember jumping off the second floor, you know, banister. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cause why not? <laughs> right. And and so it was it, it's the beauty of youth. Yeah. Right? right. And not even the sense that you're invincible, even though I think people frame it that way. And to some degree, that may be part of the equation. But the world is a magical place when you're young. Mm-hmm. And it has no limits. And so why put limitation on yourself? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more than anything else. It wasn't even a rational thought, right? <laughs> I was a huge nerd. I spent all my time in the library. So by high school, I mean, I'm reading everything there was to read, right, about the black experience. And so from that, you know, you're you're learning, you know, what these people went through, mm-hmm. right? And what were some of the foundational texts? 
So the the biggest one that actually stood out was the philosophy and opinions of Marcus Garvey. Mm. It was this huge book, right? And it wasn't sort of prose where it's beginning, middle, and end. It's just it's these snippets of essays mm -hmm. and just how he saw the world mm -hmm. and how he sought to shape the world in his image. And so for me, it was really trying to understand that we all have a role to play, right? He did his part. It's up to everybody else to do their part. I mean, the fact that their membership eclipsed membership in any other organization at the time. Mm -hmm. Dues paying members, right? Mm -hmm. So people who... If you try to get people to pay dues, you know how hard that is. Yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's around just, the world. Yeah, not just sign your name here yeah. and be a shadow, but like... Active. You need to contribute, yeah. right? In learning about him and his story and the work of the people around him did and how, again, the system really drove to marginalize everything and disband everything that he had built mm -hmm. and it was effective in doing yeah. right but then connecting that to the rise of malcolm x mm -hmm. whose father right. was a follower of a marcus garvey yeah, yeah. right and so he's like you see this thread that runs through history mm -hmm. right and for me it was a bit of a calling right it's like this work can't stop because the need hasn't stopped right and so again like i get you know, my grandma being the mother hen, right, wanting to protect her baby, but there's work to do. Mm -hmm. Like when Fred Hampton was killed, he hadn't reached his 21st birthday yet. Yeah. Like just imagine, yeah, right? Yeah. It just sounds so, it, it's so true and so difficult to wrap your head around. And, you know, you talk, even just for you, like the, the way that someone becomes myth and legend mm -hmm. and impactful and not just because of the loss, right? I think sometimes that happens where it's mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. the potential of what someone could be is what gives their legacy strength. Yeah. But for him, that's part of it. But most, it's also just like the things that he did do. Actually, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Just going back a little bit, the Black Student Union that we organized at Proviso East, the sponsor was uh, our social studies teacher who we didn't particularly care for. <laughs> we thought she was just mean. But uh, Call her out. What was her name? I don't remember her name. Oh, um, that's even worse than a call. <laughs> I don't remember her name. Um, I think it was Miss Caldwell. Sounds right. Yeah. But you know, the there was this point where Bertha Caldwell. We were <laughs> no. I think it was. I want to say Naomi, but that's a different uh, Naomi Cam Campbell. Oh. <laughs> um, but you know, we we were given a display board, a bulletin board mm -hmm. uh, in the school, and so we had put up a display about Fred Hampton and the, and the Black Panther Party. And we had a new superintendent who had just been elected, I guess. His name was Richard Weedy. Um, mm. I used to call him Dick Weedy. <laughs> that's a, that's a, you got to stay out of the education field. Yeah. That's your name. Like, yeah, all Richards. Just <laughs> Richard, especially. Like, no, no, no. You're going to have to like, like go into accounting. Yeah. <laughs> But I think that was part of the, the problem. The same for you. <laughs> you know, he came in and, you know, one of the first things he did was he wanted to establish district-wide budget cuts. Mm -hmm. uh, and Proviso East, as you would imagine, was going to be hardest hit, mm -hmm. right? But anyway, he had come into the building uh, to meet the principal there, who was also newer, a black woman. And when he came in, he saw us putting up the display board. And apparently he didn't appreciate it. 
had a conversation with the principal. They went into whatever meeting they were going to. When the principal came out, she came up to me and said, you got to take down this display board. Mm. And I'm, I mean, I was feeling myself a little bit. <laughs> so I'm like, why? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, the superintendent, you know, doesn't want anything about the Black Panther Party in the school. He said it was a terrorist organization. We shouldn't be highlighting mm-hmm. their work. And I, I refused. Uh, and so she said, well, I'm going to talk to your mom, right? This is serious. You need to to do this. And so she called home and I got in trouble. And it was like, take that thing down. It ain't worth it. You ain't you ain't gone this far to get kicked out of school over some display board. And like, you don't understand. His name is Dick Weedy. <laughs> <laughs> Dick I, Weedy versus Fred Hampton. Like, I can't. Right, 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 right. <laughs> like, Just off, off like phonics alone. <laughs> this is... <laughs> This but is a no-brainer. <laughs> my mom went out, and so the next day, I'm in school taking down the display board, and the sponsor came past while I'm taking it down and said, I taught Fred Hampton. He was one of my students. Wow. And they killed him wow. and walked off. Wow. And it was like, she wow. all right. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> it, it's, it's worth having that moment, yeah, right? Yeah. That's the thing. It's even This is one of your alumni. Right, like, right. like it's, just, it's just not abstract. Fred, Hep, like Fred, have to But it's, <laughs> it's so funny. You talk to people, and they have this yeah. experience right. with them. Right, 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 right. Right when you know, at what became Malcolm X College, mm-hmm. right? People who were in class with them mm-hmm. when he was going to school there. He's a real person. Right. This isn't somebody you just read about. It's also recent. Right, <laughs> like very. That's one of the like emergent things in the show, and I've known it, but it's become clear. It's like. Oh, none of this is history. Like at no. most, it's memory. <laughs> Mostly, it's actually present. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's happening right now. At most, it's memory. It's definitely not history. Yeah, like this is contemporary. Yeah, let's maybe jump past and come back if needed um, to talk about the entry point into Coco and mm-hmm. kind of just like establish because I don't think I think we've definitely referenced it, but I don't mm-hmm. think we've had any type of like deep dive of the mm-hmm. history of Co- Coco, which is such a a, mm-hmm. a, a, a rich a history rich space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, Coco itself vastly predates me. Right, you know, yeah, of it was course. founded in 1965, community religious leaders coming together mm-hmm. to bring two communities, Kenwood and Oakland, together to address, you know, issues mm-hmm. that they were dealing with, right? Again, the idea of indigenous leadership, mm-hmm. you know, solving their own problems. Uh, and so, you know, I came into the organization in 1997 uh, when I came, you know, back here from school. G2 Brown, shout right. out. Uh, G2 Brown, the director for Journey for Justice Alliance, invited me to join the board. And that's really how things got kicked off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we we got connected through actually Shannon Bennett, shout him out also, deputy director of COCO. Uh, and it's, it's it serendipity. Mm-hmm. Uh, just it's crazy how stuff happens. You know, there was this event down in Champaign called uh, A Journey of the African Soul. Did the you go to U of I? Okay. Yep, that's where okay. I went to school. Okay. And so the journey of the African soul was Afrocentric as opposed to woke, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the idea was how do we lift up sort of our African heritage in a way that is contemporary, mm-hmm. where we're not celebrating, you know, the pyramids and kings and queens, right. but we're recognizing that that's part of our lineage, but what does that mean to today? Right. And so Shannon had brought a group of young people down to that event from Chicago at the same time, I had a group of young people I was working with from the Champagne community at that event. And it's like, 
you know, we, you know how you yeah. see each other across the room. Mm-hmm. Like he got a group of shorties, yeah. I got a group of yeah. shorties. They tight, my people tight. Right. It's like, dude, let's hook up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so for like two years, we're having these exchanges of young people. Hmm. I'm bringing young people up from Champagne to Chicago. He's bringing young people down from Chicago to Champagne. And so when I moved to Chicago, G2 was like, bruh, let's let's do this, right? And so that's how I got connected and and really learning what Chicago organizing was all about, Mm -hmm. you know, and seeing it from afar. It really wasn't until I came on staff uh, and started doing the work of organizing myself that it really began to be something that I tell people everything that is of consequence that exists in this country and in this world is a result of an organizing campaign. <laughs> and until you're in a process of an organizing campaign, you don't really see the world for what it is. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. That's big. What were your expectations of what organizing was before you got in that room? Mm. It was a romanticized view. You know, again, I'm learning about it through reading these books about what somebody else had done and sort of reimagining my life through their words, their stories, and just having no real context, right? Like, you know, we were joking about all these meetings, right? It's (laughs) like— You don't see people talking about, okay, we had six meetings before we did the thing, right? <laughs> it it really takes you doing it to understand how to do it. Right. You can't learn this through reading a book or even hearing somebody talk about it. You actually have to be the person that makes sure it's a room full of people. Mm-hmm. Like, where are the people going to come from? How are you going to encourage the people to get in the room? Mm-hmm. And then what are you going to do once you're in the room, <laughs> right? It's like, you got to figure that stuff out. Right. So what were the tenets that you learned from the previous experience of people at Coco and doing that work? I would say the, the biggest thing is that it's about relationships. Mm-hmm. You cannot have a transactional relationship with people that you care about, hmm. that you actually view as a human being, that you view as having value, mm-hmm. right? Just reducing somebody to a commodity uh, doesn't help them, yeah. and it doesn't help us long-term. In fact, it is what hurts us in our community. We think about the way other communities treat us, and it's the the transactional nature of it is extractive. Mm-hmm. And so it's you know, amounts to, well, I need you to speak at this thing Mm -hmm. or I need you to get on this bus Mm -hmm. or I need you to do X, whatever X is, right? And there's no value placed in that person as a human being who has needs, who has visions, who has dreams, who has aspirations, who has children, has a spouse, has whatever. Mm -hmm. Until you get into that person's life Mm -hmm. and you become a part of that person's life in a way that is beneficial, you're just using people. Mm -hmm. So so how do, what mechanics or methods do y'all teach from that? Because that's something that like I've I've heard and learned now multiple, multiple times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I feel personally that I now have the framework and the the internal skills mm. to be able to respond and move mm. in that ethic. Mm. But I've not quite pulled out, like, these are the three most important values or here are some general do's and don'ts because it's all so specific and all so unique. But there has to be some takeaways to how do we move from these transactional connections to actual, real, humanizing, communal relationships. What are, what are some of the basics? Um, 
I'm gonna have a hard time answering that question for I you. Can imagine. Unlike Alinsky style organizing, mm -hmm. where you know Saul Alinsky, people promote him as the the father of organizing, um, which he wasn't. <laughs> but you know he did. <laughs> That's very simple. Like he was not. <laughs> um, but he he codified mm -hmm. the language of it, mm -hmm. right? So he took the labor experiences, right, and and applied it to a community context to say self-interest, target, et cetera, right? But when you think about, again, everything that happens as a result of an organizing campaign, how does how does it move? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the ethos behind mm -hmm. it, right? What's driving the people who created this change, who was able to build a base, right, another one of those terms, to move people to act, right? What drew that person out of their home? Yeah cooking dinner mm -hmm. into the street to demand women should have the right to vote. Like, right. what was that transition, right. Right. right? And so it's, again, it's sort of agitating, mm -hmm. but agitating from love, mm -hmm. right? You'll hear a family member chide you in a way differently than you would just some stranger on the street. They may be saying the exact same yeah. thing, but because you have this connection to your family member, you're going to hear it differently. And it's going to motivate you differently than just some random stranger. And there's a level of trust there. Even if you disagree, there's a level of trust. Right. Can I be a little detailed? Yeah. Because I was having a conversation around this this notion of agitation with mm -hmm. Peru. Shout mm -hmm. out Peru. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like I completely agree with the notion, but like the word mm -hmm. itself, like mm -hmm, the, con mm -hmm, the connotation mm -hmm, of it mm -hmm. kind of makes me uncomfortable or feels You know what it sounds like to me? You know, right. like in elementary school, somebody like, I'm not touching you, yeah. I'm not touching you, right. I'm not touching you. <laughs> right. um, with, with the word like excite someone, mm -hmm. I'll also like kind of serve mm -hmm. that same purpose or use it. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, I would even use a different word, inspire. Mm, yeah. Right, there's, um, again, another one of these seminal books, which came later uh, when I was in college, but there's a brother named Ayikwe Arma, and there's two books. That's a name when you say brother before. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> that's not, not just a not guy. Not a gentleman. Yeah, that's a brother that's right a... there. <laughs> <laughs> there are these two books that really just, that altered how I viewed the world. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one I read was 2,000 Seasons. Mm. The second one is The Healers. Mm. We'll throw and, these on the ergo reading list for those at home. Yeah, please do. So oral history is kind of what we do, mm -hmm. right? And that's, that is a cross-culture, across the ages. Oral history is our thing mm -hmm. as human beings, right? Mm -hmm. We're social people. We love to tell stories. And so what he was able to do is take these oral stories and put them in print. He's writing about a period of African life pre-colonialism <laughs> and talks about sort of the, the breakdown you got Chinua Achebe's mm -hmm. Things Fall Apart, right? Mm -hmm. What happened that caused the entrapment and enslavement of people? Mm -hmm. What were those sort of internal defects that <laughs> just grew unchecked, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so in The Healers, they take great care in making the distinction between manipulation and inspiration. <laughs> And Because the about, outcome might not be that different, right? Like someone does the thing you want them to do. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's, it's when mm. you manipulate somebody, you're using them. Right. right. And you're using them for a selfish purpose, 
regardless what you tell yourself, mm-hmm. right? If you have to manipulate, right, which is trick right. somebody into doing something, it's perversely different in inspiration because now you figured out how to help that person come to their own conclusions about what it is they need to be doing. And so they're motivated from internally as opposed to externally, which is the whole point, right? If somebody is externally motivated, once that motivation is gone, what are they going to do? But if they're internally motivated, you're always there, right? No matter where you go, there you are, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so if it's coming from within, it means more to you, Mm -hmm. right? Mm. That's a beautiful distinction. Let's jump back to Coco for one second. Mm-hmm. May I offer some gas as we jump yeah, back? Throw a little gas. Because I, I feel... I feel um, um, we skipped the gas. Yeah, yeah. I feel delinquent in, in oh. gas. I, I, <laughs> I feel tardy with my gas. But... Your gas is going to get shut off <laughs> if you wait any longer. <laughs> but, you know, I, 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 I certainly have always respected, like, the grace and, like, the confidence and also, like, the stillness I see you move with. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. You know, I Thank think you. I think there is a... Um, a lot of like the context that I come in with, you know, this like post BLM movement mm, for Black mm, Lives mm, mm, infrastructure. I think you know our origin was very much frantic, mm, <laughs> right? Mm. Uh, and responsive. Yeah, yeah. And so there, there was a lot of unsureness of we don't know if we are going to exist as as, That's right. as these bodies. That's right. Next year, yeah. right? And so um, just always kind of being in like organizational survival mode mm. on top of. Mm-hmm trying to figure out like what our platform and what our methods are and we're trying to bring a new ethic mm-hmm. uh, but also there are some fundamentals that we need to learn right and yeah. so I think you but then Coco as a space embodies a stillness that is like we, we are here we have been here mm. we know what we're doing it's all important <laughs> but it's all going to continue and there's yeah. so much to do and I think what Coco you know I'm trying to learn more about the national landscape. I'm very mm-hmm. Chicago-centered. But I think it is one of the most important models and mm-hmm. examples in the country or or that I know of, particularly because of this balance that y'all reach of, one, it is holistic, right? And so mm-hmm. if you see the work or the the thing, the fights that come out of the space, mm-hmm. they, they have to be named as radical, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's talking about the whole structure. Um, it does not accommodate uh, <laughs> to the, oppre- the oppression of our people yeah. um, at any term. Uh, But at the same time, it is very pragmatic, very rooted, dealing with actual people's lives Mm -hmm. in an actual space, has generational relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Dealing with grandmas and dealing with babies. Um, Isn't performative. So so it's it's the perfect combination of what I think so many of us aspire to, of of being real, you know, keeping it funky, not being too verbose with the language, Mm -hmm. but being able to be brilliant when when needed to Mm -hmm. go to the heights. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, I think a lot of... Spaces are radical and struggle to be rooted in community. Mm. And there are a lot of great rooted community spaces, but many of them are accommodators, yeah. right? Um, and so if a mayor comes to town or a developer comes around, um, it's very much so like, how do we be in line with the Chamber of Commerce? Mm-hmm. How do we be in favor of this elected official? How mm-hmm. do we be in the light of power as opposed to shining of the light on how mm-hmm. power is mm-hmm. can be so harmful? Uh, and so, you know, I have admired you and how you, you, you embody that ethic, but as a space collectively beyond you, uh, it really is something that like, I admire and aspire towards. So that is the gas that feels man. Thank feels you. Necessary. Um, you got me over here blushing, yeah, man. I, I hope so. I hope Damon's so. good at that. <laughs> I'm a professional gasser. That, that, that <laughs> is, at this point, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of my top. It's become part of the part of the <laughs> title. Right, now continue. No, I appreciate that. Yes, I, I really do. Yeah. Anything out of that that like stands out or rings true or feels 
intention or contradiction? No, it is deeply humbling. I mean, I I remember, you know, several years ago, you know, I ran into Jason at, at an event and um you know, we were just talking mm-hmm. and I said, Man, like y'all y'all doing it. Mm-hmm. Like it's I appreciate what y'all doing. Like I'm I'm looking at y'all like, man, that's that's hot, right? <laughs> and you like, what are you talking about? Like <laughs> Y'all the ones doing it. We just like, no, man. Like, like when you think about what organizing looks like in Chicago and across the country, there is this sort of accommodationism Mm -hmm. that takes place where people will only fight the battle they think they can win from the outset. Right. right? Like they do their power analysis Mm -hmm. and like, all right, we get we can't do that, but we can do this over here. Well, that over there ain't gonna get us what we need. Well, that's what we can get. All right, let's ride out. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, <laughs> like that's that's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, for us, it is philosophical. Mm-hmm. Right? We understand we are an oppressed people. Mm-hmm. It ain't about discrimination. <laughs> right. It Bigotry. ain't about yeah. right. You know, it's the reality is there is intentionality around keeping black people in a permanent underclass. Mm-hmm. That is intentional. Mm-hmm. It's not an accident. It's not happenstance. Mm-hmm. It's not the legacy of slavery. It's like right. people are making every choices. single day <laughs> make decisions and policy in order to keep certain people on top and certain people on bottom. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what appointment you receive, what election you win, if you are not attempting to dismantle that system, you're part of the problem. Right. Hmm. Damon, where did you first encounter Coco? Hmm. Either in history or in practice? May have heard the name in some some college book at some point where I was like trying to look at black power mm-hmm. at large. Uh, but really like a, a, a knowledge or, or an intimate understanding comes comes out of the uh, the diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that, that was when it was like, oh, I'm out here. They're out here. Mm-hmm. I know, I've heard that name before. Oh, you ain't been around for 50 years. Like, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So like, you know, when G2 comes around, mm-hmm. yeah, there's just a historical presence yeah. right, that that is being spoken to the space while at that time it was so much of like, this is the new, mm-hmm. right? Like we mm-hmm. we are we are reinvigorating or there are mm-hmm. legacies that we are upholding. You know, we are the new black power, whatever, right? Yeah. Like there's some like memory of the 60s that, that like our aesthetic yeah. spoke towards. Yeah. Uh, but once... Once that fight came from, okay, we're talking about one officer to we're talking now about like municipal funding. Right. Yeah. Uh, that was when like my 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 viewpoint turned on to like, oh, these are these are the people that that we should be following in right. terms of. And like, I gotta legacy. say, you know, that moment in time is if there is a history book written about any of this stuff, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> That has to be one of those key moments on the timeline, yeah. right? Where the march from the police station to Diet, right? right? Dealing with officers serving when mm-hmm. the mayor right. was on the police board, right? right? You know, that march for Rakia. Yeah. Like, that was, that was a moment. Yeah. It shook me, you know, so just, again, context, right? So Coco helped organize um, Coalition of Revitalized Diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a way to really save Diet High School. There's a ton of history, but the short version is in 99, the district decided to convert Diet Middle School to a high school mm-hmm. in three months. 
So the principal <laughs> got noticed that at the end of the school year <laughs> that at the beginning of the new school year, they were no longer going to be a middle school. They were going to be a high school. <laughs> uh, and it was because they That's were converting crazy. King High School to a college prep academy. Mm. Right. And so they needed someplace else when, you know, because it would be a selective enrollment school. They mm-hmm. needed another high school for children mm-hmm. to go to. And it was like, hey, send them over there. Right. <laughs> You know, fast forward, Diet never received the resources it needed to become a quality high school. Mm. Again, shouting out G2 Brown, began to work with the community members, getting them on a local school council there, trying to transform the school. Just the people in the community wrapping his arms around it, pulling it, rolling up their sleeves and going to work. After a couple of years, I mean, Diet was rocking, Mm. right? It had from, I think it was 2007, 2008, had the highest increase in students going to post-secondary institutions, largest decrease in suspensions and, and arrests. Things were working, right? It just mm-hmm. won the ESPN Rise Up Award, had a $4 million investment in the gym. Oh, okay. I was wondering why that gym was so... I live right across the street from Diet. That's, yeah. It's a beautiful gym. <laughs> ESPN, <laughs> okay, right? Okay. And You're so like someone won yeah, something. That didn't, make, that didn't add up to everything else I know. The Restorative <laughs> Justice Program had received a national award. I mean, like, the community... Yeah built it up right and showing what community can do right Mm -hmm. and then the district decided to phase the school out and so peru Mm -hmm. when he was a student uh at diet and you know sister keely griffin and um kishandra neal and uh, a couple others came into the the office and like dude y'all talking all this stuff they about to shut our school down what's up Mm -hmm. And so G2 threw it back on them. Like, what y'all going to do? <laughs> right, y'all go there. Right, why you, why you hollering at me? I don't even go there. <laughs> right. And so they began the work of organizing to save the school. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the short version of the story is there was a hunger strike right. that, you know, community members and allies launched uh, to save the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when Rahm Emanuel uh, was the mayor. How many people who participated in the hunger strike did not have like mm. a, a primary investment, but just were part of community? Three-fourths? Three-fourths. Three That's just to, to, that in, to that internal thing we're talking yeah. about, right? Like just the, the Because the it was, magic is bigger than diet, right? Right, right, right. right. Again, all these things, all these campaigns are just symptoms. Because for folks who, who aren't super plugged in or don't have the, like the memory of it, this is after the trauma of the 52, 54 school closings, right? Like that had already happened in the one fell swoop and then they were like continuing the project, right? right. So there had already been such a blow or such a loss. And I think what was so important about Diet is because coming out of the major school closing, it felt like, oh, we're hopeless, we're powerless. Yeah. If they say they're going to do it, they're going to do it. And this being like the, you know, a change in momentum or, or a pushback. And it was in some way such a, like a stand of like, yeah, like you can't take it. You can't one. keep going. Like it was, it yeah. was the last open enrollment high school in our area. Yeah. And so the, the idea was that if we don't have this, what do we have? Right. School desert. Right. <laughs> right. And so, you know, it was in the midst of the hunger strike, which lasted 34 days. So mm-hmm. literally people are starving their body. You had a dozen people starving their bodies. Mm-hmm. People, you know, we were camped out in front of diet the whole time. So at the end of the day, people sort of gathered their weary bodies and went somewhere to to rest. You know, we were sort of camping out at Rainbow Push Mm -hmm. in the evening. And so everybody dispersed for the day. And then Anna Jones, one of the hunger strikers, shout her out. One of the people ended up having to be hospitalized uh, during the hunger strike, but, but stayed on it. 
said, those babies are marching for us. <laughs> she called everybody together. Like, we, it don't matter how tired we are. If those babies marching for us, we need to be out there with them. And so we gathered everybody back together and we were out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I would say they had, hadn't eaten in like two weeks by this point. Mm-hmm. And seeing this huge circle just in the middle of the street mm-hmm. at the intersection, mm-hmm. just blocking traffic, holding it down, mm-hmm. demanding our rights as human beings, yeah. right? That we as, as people born on this planet have rights that we demand be upheld. Mm. It shook me. That moment allowed those generations to come together in that instant Mm. and stake a claim in this city. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, I'm feeling it. It's it's in your reading uh, and in your study and in your practice, what are moments that you didn't experience that came before you? that you look to as like that moment being in lineage with? Mm. Again, I got to go back to Fred Hampton. I mean, for decades, I've really have attempted to lift up his legacy. Mm -hmm. I mean, until recently, I've always been the youngest person every meeting I was in. (laughs) Um, Are you enjoying that shift? No. (laughs) 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 <laughs> we, we, we can talk about that yeah, more yeah. off air um, <laughs> but it, it's oh, I mean you know, I, so a funny thing just on that tangent real quick you know I, I tell people it's kind of cool being this age uh-huh. walking around Chicago because I can go in almost any neighborhood right. and feel safe right. I'm not young enough to be a threat right. I'm not old right. enough to look like a Vic Right. Yeah, so it's sort yeah. of this this yeah. middle ground. That happened to me like six months ago and I didn't realize it. Because I didn't even either I didn't process the fear or I tried to deflect it because mm-hmm. I felt cowardly by it. Right. Mm-hmm. But like just like the fear of moving around community. Mm-hmm. And it was like I got out of my car and it was like eleven. And it was just like six little homies just walking down my block. And I just felt cool. Like I didn't feel yeah. like no type of what I was just like, I feel not like an old head, but mm-hmm. like an OG enough. Where like I look at him like what's up like, right. like oh man I'm an adult like this, right. <laughs> this this is crazy I'm not like trying to check myself make sure I'm walking straight we're living on alternative planes yeah. right now. But, yeah. but not walking too straight right because yeah. right. to that point of like you right. don't want to be a vic but you don't want to look like an op and yeah. it's like right. I feel like neither right now Ooh, the op vic dichotomy right. <laughs> <laughs> get it to that <laughs> that's real that is and, real and so yes I, I that resonates I'm entering that space that, that I feel like you was, so you just walk around the city feeling safe yeah and, but the you also have like the headphones of someone who is neither an op nor a <laughs> you have like the ones that like like they're, they're bluetooth but it's still has the thing that sits right, on your right. shoulders that, that seems like smack safe. dab in the middle of that room. yeah I'm, I'm safe uh, but again you know Fred Hampton was murdered before he reached 21 yeah. and so it's just as a young person coming into this right. work, and even somebody who is double his age now, what spirit drove that man? Yeah. yeah. Right? And the people who rallied around him, who were the ones doing the sickle cell testing, the ones who were, you know, cooking the breakfast in the morning, the ones that were going door to door, getting people to, to come out to, to rallies and events and the po- political education classes, right? Like, these were young people. You know what I imagine? Um, I don't know. I'm sure you know this, but I don't know if anybody listening knows this history. Is that uh, Fred Hampton's mother 
babysitted Emmett Till. That's right. And so he was five to six years younger than him. Yep. So that means he was eight or yep. so when Emmett Till passed. So yeah. like one of your basically big cousins yep. becomes this national martyr. Yeah. And somebody you act right. So people don't even recognize that connection mm-hmm. that they were. And they sound like different eras, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. right. Like Contemporary. 55 to 65, right? right? But, but, and, and that's just, just something connected to that, right? Again, that maternal spirit, mm-hmm. right? What were the conversations right. his mother was having right. in the midst of this? Right. Right. Somebody she babysat. Right. Brutal. Heinously murdered like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you think about that. That fear that was described, like, yeah, the balance of that that omnipresent danger, but also then what led because it doesn't feel like it was all rebelliousness in in response right. to that, right? Like there wasn't right. there was a push there, not just a pull. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what was she saying? <laughs> you know, right. obviously something profound. Obviously, it had to be right. <laughs> yeah, and so it's just out of everything else, right? The the freedom rise and. You know, Fannie Lou Hamer and even how larger than life Ella Baker was and still is today, right? For me, the thing has been this young brother, against all odds, moving mountains. Mm -hmm. The Illinois chapter became the standard Uh, for the Black Panther Party. Arguably the the most effective. And so it's like... When I'm talking to Timothy, my 10-year-old, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you got to get to work. <laughs> Man, it's like that's in the back of my mind. He like, dude, I'm, I'm trying to watch Lego Ninjago. Why, what you that. talking about, right? <laughs> but it's like... You don't ask him if he did his homework. You ask him if he canvassed. <laughs> did you canvass? How many doors got knocked today? <laughs> right. How it's many like, classmates yeah. did you recruit? It's right? like a, he got gay with Denzel. It's like, Michael Jordan ain't sleep right now. You know, right. Michael Jordan. It's like... <laughs> G2 Brown ain't sleep right now. <laughs> Fred Hampton was doing workouts at five in the morning with the people. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. He, um, yeah, and so it's, I mean, just again, going back to your earlier conversation, his birthday's next week on Shout the 25th. Out. Shout out Timothy. And I'm going to be in Oakland for a conference, mm. and he is not happy mm-hmm. with me mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Like, not at all. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, dude. Yeah, you messing up. This ain't this ain't more important than my <laughs> yeah, birthday. Yeah. Like, okay, let's talk about that in a second, right? Let's. <laughs> and he, I mean, he was cool. He, That's he really gets funny. It. He gets it. You can't really well actually your kid on that one. It's like, well, in the lineages, I would like to like, offer a pushback to yeah. that a delta to, <laughs> to your birthday. Yeah. I'd like to offer a delta to your party. Let's, let's throw that. In like, the I'm a ride with you, but this one now, um, let's let's talk oh, about this. One. <laughs> so to that. That like larger than life figure. Yeah, I have one somewhat unrelated Coco question for you. Okay. So the first time that I crossed paths with even just the name, I was reading the great Natalie Moore book, Almighty Black Keystone mm. Nation, mm-hmm. and she talks in that book about the relationship between uh, the Stones mm-hmm. and Coco. Mm-hmm. I even pulled the quote, a, a pull quote. Uh-oh. Quotes Uh-oh. were pulled, doing the work, and I'm mostly I'm just trying to show that I read but <laughs> the other pieces I'm curious if there's any like legendary uh, Keith Fort Stone stories that trickled down through the through the years but here's what it says uh, there are two folks who were not part of the Stones who went and worked at Coco and, and had these relationships the next piece is that the Stones benefited from Toward Responsible Freedom a 3.5 million dollar program sponsored by the Social Justice CRS and doled out through Coco mm-hmm. uh, the donations came from a steel company 
a telephone company foundation, and the Sears Roebuck Foundation. The grant was also supposed to help the Stones open up and operate a restaurant called Black People's Stone Place and foster black economic empowerment. Fort and Charles Edward Bay were hired to work with the program. Fort received $9,000 a year to organize youth, and Bay accepted $8,000 a year. So there was like some real cash. So this relationship there, um, learning about the relationship between these foundations, community organizations, and the Stones as being like part of the war on poverty when they say like they just like threw money Mm -hmm. into things. And and one, like the limitations of that in ways that it was exploited, but also like that these connections and pathways were built and actually put like thousands of dollars in people's pockets and mm-hmm. built these things. And then the rug was just pulled yeah. from under. You know, and how tenuous that was, but it existed. And I just mm-hmm. had no knowledge of that history. Are there any uh any stories or legends or lineages of that that uh bounce around the the walls of Coco's office? Yes and no. See, I, I think the thing is, you know, when people talk about the history of street organizations, mm-hmm. yeah, I think people miss or forget or don't know that a lot of these organizations grew out of a sense of we need to protect our community mm-hmm. right. is easy you know today to watch you know the first episode of Watchmen and and view sort of cinematically you know what the Tulsa massacre might have been like mm-hmm. it's something completely different to have to live through it and to know that at any point in time you could be targeted for a beatdown or a killing simply because you're black. Recreationally or politically. Exactly. And, you know, a a brother I work with has done this piece on how lynchings were recreation for white people. We were literally just talking about this. It's become one of the highest points of fascination of, like, I need to understand the psychology of the participants because um, I've got the light of freedom and Mm -hmm. um, Ella Baker. Like, you know, they they talk so much about the response and basically, you know, a a, a decade of organizing Mm -hmm. that put an end to this fascist violence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is no record. Yeah. of the practitioners, right? Like, they didn't have journals or they didn't keep yeah. notes of their meetings. It was all this underground violence. And I just can't understand how you get to the point of not, you know, I can understand, like, warrior stuff or, yeah. you know, thinking it's us versus them. Yeah. I can get the, but now we're going to torture somebody. I'm going to bring my children. And we're going but to see the, you know? So here's the piece and the way I approach it and look at it. You know, in the same way that people have pets that they'll dress Right, they'll feed, mm-hmm. take to the vet when they get sick, have a funeral even when they pass. And that pet becomes a member of the family. Regardless of how close that family feels connected to that pet, they recognize that that pet is not a human being. Mm-hmm. In this society, yeah. that's how white people writ large yeah. view black people. I took that for granted. <laughs> and so it's... In the same way someone go fox hunting, right, right or go kill a, a buck right, in the woods, right, right, right. it was, I'm going to go. Yeah. Picking it up from yeah. Wow. The, yeah, the dehumanization. I guess I've, we could take our victories for granted. Yeah. Right? So, like, black yeah. humanity is just a given yeah. to me, and, and I, I, I don't think that registers. I mean, think about this. Like, this is, this is a quintessential example I always use. Anti-lynching laws. Mm-hmm. Murder has always been a capital offense <laughs> yeah. in this country. It just yeah, is, yeah, right? It's never been legal. <laughs> and so the idea of anti-lynching law right. sounds redundant, yeah. but was very real. Yeah. 
Right, it's classifying lynching as and a it murder. never right. passed in in the Senate. Mm. It never became not once. Man. There is no record in federal law of an anti-lynching bill, mm. and so you take a capital offense that everybody viewed as rational. Mm. Black people were not important enough mm. to make the murder of us yeah. illegal. Yeah. That says a lot about this country. Yeah. And it's an, this extension of the idea of like these rights, these laws are protective of citizens and defining whose mm-hmm. citizen equals human and defining the distinctions mm-hmm. of who, who is able to participate in this project and who is to be exploited by it. Yeah. But even like you can't even kill a dog. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's a, a, a legal. Michael Vick, laws yeah, of career. Right, right. right? So yeah, that's something I have processed and like. I'm trying to figure out, right, like, I don't think we recognize in our memory that, like, within my parents' lifetime, it was legal in practice to kill black people. That's right. And so the, the march at 13 that Fred Hampton led, it was because some black kids left Maywood, went to Bellwood to swim in a swimming pool, because there wasn't a swimming pool in Maywood, mm-hmm. and got beat half to death. Mm-hmm. Kids. Yeah. In the hot summer, wanting to swim in a pool. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what the conflict mm-hmm, in 1919, mm-hmm, literally mm-hmm. these contested spaces that aren't even real distinctive spaces, but it's about policing, you know, which bodies can cross these lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then that brings us back to the, the emergence of the street organization right. or the gang tradition as being like a protective entity. That's right. You, you mentioned that, that that tradition came out of protecting community. So right. I want to get a little bit back to like the contemporary work of mm-hmm. Coco. Mm-hmm. And you guys have been one of the, um, you know, substantial organizations towards this community benefits agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I want to go deep, but also feel like we should just get like some cursory, mm-hmm. you know, what's the story of it and, and like kind of the timeline of, of where we are with it and like assume ignorance for mm-hmm. some li- listeners. Ignorant listeners, we love you. You have it's, you have the right to be ignorant. <laughs> Thank you for coming here. Don't feel any guilt or shame if you don't know about the community benefits agreement push. You got to learn right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we're here. So the idea is that you look at any large scale development in this mm-hmm. country and around the world. If there aren't protections for people, people get displaced. Yeah. I mean, you look at presidential libraries, you look at the Olympics, you look at highways. Exactly. Yeah. Right? When large-scale development takes place, people get pushed out. You know, there is an argument that some people make that, you know, the the ends justify the means. Mm-hmm. But for who? Yeah. Right? For those families, you know, you talked about uh, highways, right? You think about the Dan Ryan Expressway yeah. and the loss of black wealth from black homeowners who got displaced. If you're one of those people who have nowhere to go, but you got to find someplace to go, the end didn't justify the means for you. Right. Right. And so the idea is that, you know, with the presidential center in the same way that we organized for CBA related to the Olympic summer games, we have to put protections in place so that people don't get displaced. And so we started that work um, back in 2016, mm. um, after you know, former president left office and announced his plans uh, to build a presidential library. Chicago obviously was in the running. Uh, there was a group, you know, the Bronzeville Regional Collective, who you know sort of put you know a, a letter out there saying like, "You cannot displace us, mm-hmm. right? There needs to be protections in place if you're going to to do this." And so, I mean, obviously, we supported mm-hmm. that effort. 
uh, just felt that this wasn't something that could just be simply negotiated, right? We got to organize around this. Mm-hmm. And so we began to ratchet up the pressure. And we are, you know, at a point where this 20th Ward Alderman, uh, shout out to Jeanette Teller. And Leslie Harrison, Alderman of the 5th Ward, introduced an ordinance back in July mm-hmm. that will put protections in place for people so that people would not continue to be displaced. Because it, since the announcement, the presidential center now, you know, then it was a library, now it's a center, mm-hmm. is going in Jackson Park. The real estate speculation has been crazy. Yeah. I remember when we talked about, you came on another show I produced, and so we, we talked about this a little bit, but the property values had risen at the third highest rate of any neighborhood in the country. That's right. In think, 2017. Think of how many cities there are, how many neighborhoods there are. Yep. Like, And the, you said the only thing that changed was the announcement of the center. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and so, you know, for us, stopping displacement mm-hmm. is, is is triage, mm-hmm. right? It's like we're just stopping the bleed. Yeah. And, you know, there's additional ordinances that, you know, we've been proposing that would, you know, allow for um, equitable economic development and community development. Um, but, you know, our mayor, you know, has, you know, as she's talked about alleviating poverty, as, you know, she campaigned, talking about there needs to be protections in place for people, uh, we're having a really hard time getting to the right numbers. So I, I want to talk a little bit uh, in context to this fight, like a little bit of a zoom out mm-hmm. instead of just the, the nuts and bolts organizing. Uh, I, I had this conversation with, with, with Peru a little bit, because mm-hmm. I feel like it's such a um, important learning opportunity. And I, I just want to discuss how the deification of Obama mm-hmm. like depoliticizes mm-hmm. our people. And I know in some ways has like made the struggle way more difficult than if it was just a developer mm-hmm. or just like a a, a a board of some... Yeah, I mean, no one has a picture of a developer on their wall. <laughs> right? And so, you know, what I know from just being around some things and mm-hmm. talking to folks, I know there's like an attempt to massage or speak around mm-hmm. his legacy. Mm-hmm. And I just want to like talk through that strategy in public a little bit if we can. Yeah. So the the thing is, and I mean, we've been as explicit about this as we can, right? It's it's not about him. I mean, yeah, his name is on it, Mm -hmm. right? But, you know, for me, I always try to walk people back to the fact that the University of Chicago were the ones who wrote the bid. Yeah. Right? And so, yeah, you know, of course, the former president signed off on it. Mm -hmm. um, And he is the one who came out and said, I don't support a CBA. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, granted, right? I'm not trying to whitewash any of that. But, you know, we have to think about why the University of Chicago wrote the bid and talked about the opportunity that the presidential center would bring by placing it in Jackson Park. I mean, in the bid document itself, it says it's an opportunity to bring new people to Woodlawn. Mm. What is that? <laughs> yeah. Right? Why is that your desire? Right? And so is like, we just don't like these people. <laughs> you don't hear DePaul saying we need to bring new people right. to Lincoln Park. <laughs> and so I, I think it starts there. Like mm-hmm. what, again, what is the motivation behind it? Why did the University of Chicago feel it was important to submit a bid to bring the presidential center to the south side of Chicago? Mm-hmm. What was their motivation? And it's part of why they threw the rock and is now hiding their hand. Mm. Right. Right? You don't hear them talking about the presidential center. What they say is we did this as a gift to Chicago. (laughs) 
Well, if this was a gift to Chicago, are people in Woodline not a, not in Chicago? <laughs> like within months of you know winning the bid, did you announce you were building a new hotel blocks away from the presidential center? You announced you're building a new conference center blocks away from the presidential center, right? So it's like it's clear they're attempting to capitalize on this man's legacy. Mm-hmm. It's like when my uh, my brother bought me a shirt that didn't fit me. It was just like, all right, I'll take it. <laughs> but so, 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 yes, right? Like, I, th- I think it's better on me anyway. <laughs> I think you know, outside of you know, government or like large multinational corporate power, mm-hmm. I have named the University of Chicago as like a uniquely harmful space, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, you know, you can go through some other episodes, and you can go through the history of Cocoa, and the his- mm-hmm. you know, you can go through the history of the Blackstone mm-hmm. uh, book, and see they've been doing like a century mm-hmm. of hypercapitalist, anti-black yeah. displacement, and then it's also just an elitist institution, right? Yeah. Uh, but I don't think he should get any passes. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a really important opportunity because, in addition to just him being at minimum arrogant in this mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. I would say actively harmful. But even with, if you assume the best intentions. Assume he has, his political legacy mm-hmm. is one of destructive neoliberalism mm-hmm. and destructive mm-hmm. warfare and militarism and violence, right? Mm-hmm. And we as a, a people, I mm-hmm. think, have been depoliticized, have been moved to the right mm-hmm. by his legacy. Mm-hmm. And we need to start to like reckon and learn so, that some of that to, to move forward. People can't understand, like I've talked to my mom and grandma about this. I know how deep it gets. Like mm-hmm. people can't understand him as harmful as he's Martin Luther King and Jesus Christ reincarnated. Right. Right. But if we show that, no, right now, there are people saying we don't want to protect us. We don't yeah. want to be harmed. And he is saying, no, um, I don't think people can make the connection if they don't know that he had a political legacy of harming black people and harming marginalized people around the world. See, is is he can do no wrong. Yeah. So how can his center be wrong? Because he is a deity. And you're like, no, he did wrong. <laughs> you know, my mom. Shout out to mom. Called me. Yeah. Shout out to my mom, <laughs> Deborah Malone. I love you. <laughs> called me. It was like, why y'all messing with my man? <laughs> right. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what, what what's what's wrong with the presidential center? We can't have a presidential center now. It's like, mom. <laughs> right. That's like, mom. <laughs> it's like. People are being pushed out of their homes simply because he said he wants to do this thing there, right? And when we've talked to him about it, he ain't trying to mess with us, right? And, you know, for me, the the moment, and I think he realized this moment, right? And when you saw him cease to being visible and and vocal on this issue Mm -hmm. at McCormick Place, you know, the first time he was on the screen, you know, when Jeanette Taylor asked the question, like, what's up with the CBA? Then he said, okay, they they ain't feel my presence, right? Let me, I need to be there in person, mm-hmm. right? He walked out on stage, people jumped up with their camera phones, taking mm-hmm. the pictures, mm-hmm. you know, applause. For the record, and, all phones are camera phones. <laughs> right, right. That is Sorry, true. Just that is true. That's <laughs> me dating one, myself One a dude in the bit. back with a cigar pack, like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Should have got the crazer. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Just saying. But True. So they jumped over their phones, <laughs> taking pictures, utilizing the camera function <laughs> on their phone. And, you know, he gets, I don't know, three quarters of the way through. Mm-hmm. And he says, gentrification is not happening in Woodlawn. And you heard the audience shift. Those same people who jumped over their phones mm-hmm. was like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Is that the same time where he says it's also not a problem? Yep. Mm -hmm. He said economic development has not been a problem in Woodlawn, right? Rent goes up for some people. It's okay because they'll have jobs. (laughs) Malia's children might have to deal with gentrification, but we don't. I mean, it's like they won't. They will be rich. <laughs> and, and right. And, and so like, let's let with that sentence right there. Yeah. Any other human being saying that yeah. is a villain. Yeah. How does it benefit us to allow our people to like. But see, I think the thing is that in that moment, the room shifted. And, okay. I, and I know I know he felt that yeah, shift because he's yeah. an expert at that. He knows a room like we was riding with you. Right. You yeah. ain't have to go there because that's a lie at that point. Right. It's a bold face lie because that's that's the, I'm sorry. I, I get on. I don't want to. I didn't mean to do this. I get on my Obama thing. I get all very right, sensitive right. about this. He is a brilliant person. Would mm-hmm. you mind doing just an impression so that Damon can yell at you? <laughs> no, no. No, I'm going to calm down. I'm going to calm down. But something like that, I also, I heard him on the Tom Joyner Morning Show yeah. talk about Chicago. Yeah. And he said, the problem with Chicago is there's not enough police. There are more police in bigger cities, which is just statistically, like I was, my dad used to be on, so I was, mm-hmm. it wasn't even live. I was sitting next to him, mm-hmm. listening to it, mm-hmm. and I Googled it, mm-hmm. and I knew it because I teach about this, mm-hmm. but like, let me make sure I'm not lying mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. It is the most per capita, right? So like, yeah. I know that you have people who have six-figure jobs to make sure you're informed and you're brilliant. A statement like that, right? Like, yeah. it does not take much, re- that, that, that well, not see, just like, it, I'm unaware. It fit with the talking point they had decided they were going to use, right? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, this stuff fascinates me, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I mm-hmm. am a nerd, yeah. right? And so I pay attention to this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you saw them try to craft their talking points in public, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay, this ain't work. Let's try this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this ain't work. Let's try this. Right, right. It's like a, Dang, a, a this ain't work either. <laughs> right. And so... And so that's why I think he stopped. <laughs> right? Like, you think about his first term. I mean, mm-hmm. you had political pundits saying, like, why is the president out here so much? It's like, he got, he got people, uh, right? Why is he the one always pushing these things? It's because he recognized the power he had right. as the first black president. If there was anybody else, that doesn't happen, right? Or people respond a different way. Mm-hmm. And I think he, he realized in that moment, in that room, he could not sell this position that they took. Mm. And he stopped selling it. Mm. And so now, I mean, when people talk about it, they refer back to he said. Right. It's not what, what he's, he's now saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Because it's a position that is indefensible. And how are you not upset is, I guess, my question. Or is it it's just what strategic? People do. Yeah. As much as mm-hmm. who I am and what I do mm-hmm. is connected to this work. There's a part of it that just is, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the the world I have to it's operate wise. in. Yeah. yeah. I'm out here trying to make new worlds. That's <laughs> just getting stressed out about it. <laughs> but you said that something along to the like accept what you cannot tolerate. Yeah. yeah is yeah. like yes. Being outraged that what something is is what it is mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. helpful. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. So you can be critical, but the yeah. The frustration of why aren't you the thing you should be is uh, impossible. So it's it's not that why aren't you, it's not like why aren't you living up to my hopes and dreams. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that he moves with a barrier that allows him to be unaccountable like anyone else. But let, so let, it's not that he is worse or he's, he, he, mm-hmm. it is that he gets a, a leeway. He gets a pass. That if any other president did mm-hmm. it, 
we like even these Afghan Afghanistan papers that are, mm-hmm. are out right mm-hmm. now for mm-hmm. folks who don't mm-hmm. know right that mm-hmm. for 20 years basically mm-hmm. the entire military industrial complex has been committing like outward fraud and they've all admitted it and it and it's gone through now four three three presidencies and if he was not in the middle of it and that was another white man the the, the collective outrage we would have but there's just like a uh, I don't know because a, a chunk of it was the spokesperson yeah. and I think that that creates a ha- right like we know to protest Bush and we know to protest Trump mm-hmm. and even like Clinton like okay once we read maybe we was shucking and jiving for a second but while, when we really look at this cl- crime bill it's like mm-hmm. no get this dude out of here right yeah. now we have an inconsistency within ourselves mm-hmm. um, and, and it is it has moved us in a way that just concerns me if it is not yeah. readdressed or, or, or recorrected and so yeah but so going back to my mom Shout right. out to moms. Um, <laughs> we just wanted to make sure we shout her out. <laughs> so we're we're having a conversation, mm-hmm. and so I'll, we going back and forth, and we get out the phone. You know, she's probably a little frustrated with me as she normally is. <laughs> she calls me back a couple of weeks later, and tells me that she saw a documentary on Wrigleyville mm. and all the people who were displaced mm. around Wrigleyville, mm. and she said, "I get it." Mm. <laughs> Now, of course, last week when we were in front of the mayor's office, she still she called me back like, you still messing with my man? <laughs> um, but she was like, I get it. Yeah. It's complicated because representation is something that um, I have a love-hate relationship with. Yeah. Right? It's I get as, as young people developing a, our self-image, representation is important, right? Mm-hmm. Being able to see yourself mm-hmm. In other places, mm-hmm. right? But as we get older, there should be something internally that causes that need to dissipate a little bit, mm-hmm. where we can become more self-reliant. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, again, shout out to reality. <laughs> Super uh, shout out to reality. The reality is <laughs> the society we live in, yeah. where everything from the minute we're born tells us that black people should be devalued. Mm -hmm. You go to church, you go to school, in your home maybe. Mm -hmm. Media. Turn on TV. And and so the the reality is representation is important. And if we don't have a larger than life figure, what does my life mean? Mm -hmm. And that's the challenge. Mm -hmm. Right. But there are answers that are not representational to that question. They're just much harder answers. Right. And, and and the danger is that then, you know, what I'm hearing from this this question that you're asking is like what enables it to be pacifying is the false promise of participation. Mm-hmm. It's this idea that like because of this proxy, mm-hmm. there is this false potential to it's not it, it's the difference between like dismantling the oppressive systems and not being oppressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That those are two separate that mm-hmm. the logic has been the only way to resist this oppression is to dismantle the oppressive systems or mm-hmm. to challenge them as opposed to like there's this possibility of representation within and participation within the oppressive systems that is just not directed at, at me. That's the, the real pacifying danger mm-hmm, of it mm-hmm. is there's this potential to be included yeah. in this machine. Yeah. I mean, Glenn Ford from the Black Agenda Report, mm-hmm. like just numerically put mm-hmm. it in like a way that articulates that's, that's mm-hmm. so important. He, what he argues, and I think very well, um, is that black America has always been the most anti-militaristic, the most pro-social, mm-hmm. pro-progressive, 
voting block that has existed. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that's why it is attacked so much. Every poll of any war activity or any militarism, we are always polling in the least favorable, mm-hmm. except for when Obama was trying to attack Syria before mm-hmm. that was blocked. Mm-hmm. When he was trying to open that up, black people for the first time in any poll taken supported it higher in a higher proportion than whites. Mm-hmm. Right. So nobody supported it in majority, mm-hmm. but like we were like 48 to 43%. Right. Mm-hmm. And that is tragically heartbreaking. What that then means to like our legacy mm-hmm. of 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 us as a people, mm-hmm. if that continues, then the world is kind of doomed, right? Like, if black America is not a check on America, America is going to destroy everything. Uh, and, like, that's a simplification and a yeah. flattening. Uh, well, I'm curious, yeah. what do you think in response? Because I saw your eyebrows do some some. Yeah, no, I'm scrunching. just... So the, I mean, the reality is, you know, so that's an example out of politics, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It's we cultural. have a corollary, quote-unquote, economic development or community development, mm-hmm. right? When you think about developers, you have a brother who is celebrated for bringing Whole Foods to Inglewood. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I've shopped there, like, whatever, right? <laughs> but what, again, what does that mean? Yeah. Right, again, going back to this CBA fight where we have homeowners literally saying, I'm glad if some of these people get displaced because I need my property value to go up. Mm-hmm. Right, that's taking your macro example and bringing it micro. right. right? When we devalue our neighbor because we've been cut out of the formal economy. Mm-hmm. And so the only vehicle we feel we have to achieve any modicum of wealth in this country mm-hmm. is through home ownership or through real estate development. That's the issue. He also bailed out the banks while millions of people's houses were being foreclosed. <laughs> and so I think the, you know, whether we give you know, the former president a pass mm-hmm. or not, I think trickles down to how we perceive of ourselves and our neighbors. Mm-hmm. What do we give our neighbors a pass on? Look at you. Look at you bringing it back to the grassroots. Oh, <laughs> it just grabbed me. All right. Thank you for, for humoring my frustrations. Let's talk about like where we are right now with the campaign and then we can we can start to close out. Sure. So um, we were in front of the mayor's office last week. Mm-hmm. Um, we had organized a sit-in to call attention to the disparity in the numbers that the mayor's office is proposing versus the numbers that we are asking for, right? For us, what is key to any protection is grounding it in the people who are already there, mm-hmm. not who you want to bring there mm-hmm. or who you anticipate could come, mm-hmm. but the people who are already there. And when I say numbers, I'm talking about levels of affordability. Mm-hmm. So the levels of affordability we're advocating for for rental property as well as home ownership is for the people who are there now. Mm. The numbers that they're proposing does not come close to address uh, the needs of the people who are already there. And we see this tactic a lot in development where they say there's a certain number of affordable units and a certain number of market units, and then they define affordable as uh, based on a, a wider wider array of the population rather than the hyper-local. So like affordable right. will be defined AMI. at right. $35,000 as opposed to, or your $35,000 income a year, but the neighborhood could be 15 or 25. Exactly. G2 hit me to this of like, what what are some of the affordable numbers, whether in y'all constituency mm-hmm. at large or that they're proposing for this? Because yeah. I think people need to know that affordable, ha- it feels like a scam. It is a me. scam. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and so, I mean, you look at the median income of Woodlawn as it stands right now, mm-hmm. you're looking at around $25,000. Mm-hmm. 
As the median. So the, that's mm-hmm. in the middle. Yeah. So you got people below that right. and people above that, right. right? The city is proposing affordable housing for people at 100% of the AMI. AMI is area median income. Uh, they calculate it as a six-county region. So the number is about $15,000 higher than the city's median income, <laughs> which is still higher Damn near than, yeah. than, than Woodlawn, right? right? And so 100% of the AMI is roughly between seventy five dollars and $80,000 income. So your household is bringing in seventy five dollars to $80,000. You need affordable housing. <laughs> now, if you bring it in $80,000, you might say, man, I wish I was paying less in rent. <laughs> but if you are making $25,000, you can't even imagine right. affording some place that somebody who's making $80,000 can afford. Yeah. And that's that's our argument. And that really is is one of the big sticking points. The other one is around a set aside. Our point is any development that's built in Woodlawn or rehabbed, because we know the rehab game, mm-hmm. right? Rehab needs to have 30% affordable housing set aside in that development. So whatever pops off, 30% of it needs to be dedicated as affordable housing for, again, people who are living there now, mm-hmm. right? Not somebody moving in who's making 80 grand or above. The set aside is completely off the table for them. They don't want to address that at all, right? And so we aren't even now talking about affordability levels, right? We're talking about general protection, Mm -hmm. right? If the majority of what's happening is rehab and people can't afford that rehab department, What's the point of introducing anything else? So, so here's what I struggle with. Most people, when you sit down and talk to them, particularly people who, who are in the system, cops a lot of times, their whole thing is, I'm a good person, right? So they, they, they either deflect or are unconscious of their impact. So I, can, I, I understand that. But within that, what do you think their good thinking about themselves selves, <laughs> think or imagine should happen to those people? So what they've said, and, and it's, it's two things, and I, I, I try not to talk about the second because that gets me in a ton of trouble. <laughs> okay. Um, I am so curious what the second is. So for you, I will. Thank just you. just three of us here. We'll, we'll talk about that second one. But the first one Listeners, is— just turn it off. Right. <laughs> the first one is that the city will not attract developers if they cannot maximize their profit. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes developer-driven. Right. And if we think about what has happened in this country over the last 15 years, we've seen developer-driven projects send this country careening towards a cliff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, Catastrophic. And I don't want to sound like the, the doomsday prophesier here, but if you look at the impact that private equity firms and corporate landlords has played Post-foreclosure crisis, when you had people flee their homes and flood the rental market, it has made the cost of living in this country explode Mm -hmm. in a way that is almost irreversible. Within a generation, we will not be able to afford to house poor people. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem because people are not just going to live on the street. People are not just going to live in tunnels underground like in us, Mm -hmm. right? People are going to figure out how to make it. And if you become the consequence, you become the consequence. Right. Decisions that are made today 
impact the ability for this country to remain a democracy going forward. Now, first off, this country is not a democracy. So, so yeah. I'm clear, y'all. Don't I mean, don't we send getting... me emails and, and blow up my phone. Like, dude, did you really just call the U.S. We a democracy? Have, we we're about to have a collective. Well, actually, right. No, no, I, I'm clear, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. But the democracy that they want to be a public this to right. be right becomes it possible? Because like, who will trust this system? If I cannot house myself and my family right. based on policies that they have written, why should I trust this country? Mm-hmm. Like, right. given everything, yeah. right? And historically, the people who can't don't trust the country. Like, that's there's a but that, that number. And, it's, right. you know, there's so we just again, we just families, just three of us here talking. Like, there is this threshold that the people who run this country recognize exists. Right. So it's okay if black folks, mm. Latinx folks get pissed off. Mm. What matters is when your average white family mm-hmm. gets pissed. And so we are reaching a point where that number of average white folks who get pissed off is also growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when this country is going to find itself in the middle of a problem. Yeah. Well, who was it? Someone described dystopia as when. The things that have been done to black and brown people start happening to white people. Yeah. Like, that's kind of how... Those movies are. Power, yeah, it's like, oh, that thing... Does? <laughs> this is science fiction. <laughs> but, the, you know, that's yeah. the feeling, Shout out right? to Octavia Butler. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, I mean, that's what her books are about, right? Right. Yeah. Her books are about what black people, well, people of color, historically have to deal with now being faced by white people who never thought this could happen to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was the second thing? The second thing is that there's 25% of the black population that people feel is expendable. Yeah. That's just real. How'd you get to that number? Is that so, just like rough estimate or? So, <laughs> just a little fun fact here, right? <laughs> Mayor Rahm Emanuel made that 25% number popular mm. because he is famously quoted as saying, statistically, one out of four black kids won't make it. Mm. And so, of course, he was using that to justify right. his racist policies, right, 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 right. right? But when you talk to people who support his policies, they won't say it because they knew the flack that he caught for saying it. And they, the when he said thing. it, yeah. right, they was like, ooh, you shouldn't have said that, dude. <laughs> like, that, uh, like, ooh, you shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. But that's what they believe, mm-hmm. right? That we won't be able to make it unless we get rid of 25% of the population. And the way that we get there is, is similar to, I think, how Rom got there. Statistically, when you look at, if you put sort of social economic indicators on a bell curve, mm-hmm. what people will say is that bottom 25% is what's driving everything that's, that's happening. Problem. Yeah. And so... Again, these these theorists, mm-hmm. right, who always are sending us towards disaster, mm-hmm. are not the people who are supposed to be determining public policy, but they largely have become the people who mm-hmm. determine public policy. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to Ron's first term, you think about it. All the people who were in decision-making positions came from outside Chicago. Yeah. That wasn't an accident, mm-hmm. right? They had to, in the same way that you have fascist dictators— bringing in people who had no concern for the people who were willing to carry out their orders, Rom had to figure out how to do the exact same thing here in the city. And that's what he did. Mm -hmm. And he created the conditions that we're feeling now, where you have 300,000 black people destitute, 
Just yeah. to be messy. How did Ron Emanuel become the mayor of Chicago? Why are you trying to be messy? <laughs> <laughs> I just I just need people to connect those dots, right? Like Photoshop. <laughs> but it's, it's the thing. I mean, you see it. Have Bloomberg doing the same thing, mm-hmm. right? It's like the the yeah. It's not. It's not. I do the, respect. It's not to these two people. They're yeah. figureheads of a the of a thing. Life. The thing is, how do we get the black vote every election? How do we get the black vote? And Rom saw it as I need to tie myself to the man who is the most popular figure in the world. Yeah. Bloomberg is doing the exact same thing. It ain't mm-hmm. like Barack walked up and said, yo, vote for my boy. Is Bloomberg yeah. capturing again that legacy? The same thing. University of Chicago is doing the same thing that I'm, uh, I'm about com- to get myself in trouble. But I'm done. <laughs> well, and you know, let's, let's, let's close on out. Let's, let's pull back. Thank you so much for all of that. Man, really, I, I appreciate y'all yeah. bringing me on here. God, I feel like there's so much. There's more we can to do. Expand. There's more on we that. can do. Um, so we're gonna check out. But yeah. real quick, if there are people who want to plug into the CBA fight, is there an entry point that you recommend? So a couple things. You can follow us. You know, go to our website. Check us out on social media. Is at Obama CBA O B A M A C B A. Uh, just to kind of catch up on what we're doing, what's mm-hmm. popping off. Uh, but go old school you can always call us up at the office and just rap like (laughs) man i want to know more about this i don't get it i heard this this don't sound right or whatever it is our phone number at the office 773-548-7500 call me up juan's and malone let's talk about it and figure out where you can plug in because we we want people understanding what's going on and doing something about it and if you call in the next 15 minutes, you get over now. <laughs> Free toaster. Yeah. <laughs> One yeah. more thing, just since since I got the mic right now. Yes. The rent control fight mm-hmm. uh, is just as big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, people feel the pinch of their rent going up. Um, but similarly, there's something that people can do about it. And we need to utilize the levers we have to make a difference. So instead of our only alternative is you know, driving to Wall Street and just going ham on these people, we can put regulations in place. Mm -hmm. And I tell people regulations equal consumer protection. Mm -hmm. The same way we got to an EPA, we got to an FDA, even though there's a ton of loopholes that's being exploited, but regulations around the finance industry, the way we get there is through people demanding their rights. Mm -hmm. And demanding protection against these people who don't care anything about us. Look at utilities, right? Mm -hmm. Utilities are regulated because of work that was done in the 80s and the 70s to pull them in the check. Mm -hmm. And so we have to do the same thing around rent. And these corporate landlords who are just extracting as much wealth as they can from our communities, not caring that they're leaving deserts in their wake. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is there specifically around rent control, same, same plug-in endpoints? Is there a campaign, anything in particular? Uh, so the, the website is LTB uh, for Lift the Band, mm-hmm. LTB Coalition. For those who don't know, there is a ban on even basically discussing the possibility of rent control so, in Illinois. Yeah, it's not that it is illegal to raise the rent. It is illegal to have a discussion about Not raising the yeah. rent. <laughs> so Alec, our friends, yes. Alec, American Legislative Exchange Council, back in 97, um, preemptively banned rent control, any rent regulation uh, at the state level. 
ALEC is also the organization behind the Stand Your Ground law that is, you know, obviously popularized in the Zimmerman Trayvon Martin case, mm-hmm. um, and also um, the the illegal searches and ID checks mm-hmm. in Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, and the Religious Freedom Act. Um, mm, our our around, around, Vice President Mike yeah, Pence around, around, uh, popularized trans, trans in Indiana. Yep, so saying Alec, it's legal to discriminate people. Yeah, yeah. So Alec is is one of those big ops. It's a bunch yep. of corporations and elected officials organizing in secret together and then they come out with these corporate written policies that have had just like immediate terrible impact mm-hmm. like you don't even need the like 40 years of history it's like tomorrow somebody's gonna die that's right of this so they're so white they even named their organization a white <laughs> alec <laughs> um so thank you so much what's uh, what's something sticking with you yeah. from the conversation or uh just how you feel I right thought now or feeling for a checkout i need to go call my mama yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. uh for me i think the 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 through thread and a lot of this was protection. Mm. Um, whether you're talking about Timothy, your son, mm-hmm. uh, we're talking about Fred Hampton and, mm-hmm. and, and gathering people. We're talking about street organizations or we're talking about on a, on a policy level. Um, you know, I, I've, I've challenged a lot the, the collective political reality of the notion of safety, mm. right? That feels like a personal mm-hmm. social thing. Protection mm-hmm. is, is grounded for me. And so um, just hearing this beautiful, wonderful example of whether it's, you know, starving your body, mm. whether it's starting a group or whether it's, you know, turning up on an iconic president, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. it is all in the name of protecting mm-hmm. our people. And that is primary. Mm. I loved just listening to you talk about the impact and the experience of the hunger strike mm. and seeing like in your eyes and in your face, like mm. what that meant to you. Mm. That's that transformation that we talk about. Yeah. Cool. Let's play the game real quick. <sighs> I'm excited. I, so you, you we end, we're ending with, an, we're ending with, the the cornerstone of our show, yeah. and this is a nerd friendly game. So All right, I'm okay. very excited right. to hear what you're NFG. <laughs> so accountability is important here, and so we do all of this love and affirming mm-hmm. for how ninety seven percent of the show, but we want to take this last little margin and deploy beef as okay. our accountability tool. All right. So the time is the twentieth century. Mm-hmm. So from 1900 to 1999, mm-hmm. a person, figure, phenomenon, historical event, creation, thought, experiment, theory, mm-hmm. anything that exists in the 20th century. Beef with the 20th century with Jawanza. Um, I will say slavery um, because as an institution, mm-hmm white supremacy became the justification for it Mm -hmm. and the ripple effects have i believe completely destabilized human progress Mm -hmm. in this world Mm -hmm. Uh, and so as bad as the so-called institution of slavery was the philosophy Mm. that got sold to the rest of the world to justify greed uh, I think is what what I got beef with, mm, mm, mm. and 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 that makes me also think of like like Confederate recreation of history at mm-hmm. the same time. That was very 20th century rooted. I mean, I think we can all we can all back this beef. Yeah, 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 yeah. We we support that beef. <laughs> that that is appropriate beef. <laughs> all right, let's get out of here. Uh, you shouted out all the websites. Are there any other ways you or your work would like to be found? Whether it's social media websites, email, yeah, Coco's website, yeah. CocoOnline.org, K O C O Online, all one word. dot org. 
Uh, it probably could stand to be updated a little bit. All but, of our, ups, our websites uh, look uh, update. But, but find <laughs> us there. Uh, check us out. But again, always just call us. 773-548-7500. Word Ergo Radio. I'm Damon underscore AF. I'm at Ergo Kiss. We're not giving you a phone number. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back next week with another person reshaping the culture of our city and world for the more equitable and creative. Much love to the people. Peace. Hey, Dame. What's up, Kiss? I want you to meet my friend Miriam here. Hey, Miriam. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Miriam is my oldest friend in the world. The whole world. And she is a devoted podcast listener. Are you? I am. Oh, well, that's love. I don't even just, I don't mean our podcast. I just mean podcasts in general. Okay. I love podcasts. How, how do you usually find your podcast? What do you listen to them on? <sighs> the iTunes mm. app. Yeah, I know. Very basic. You're not thrilled with it? It isn't the best. Well, the good news is we actually have a recommendation for you. Oh, yeah? Well, Ergo is sponsored by Overcast. It's an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. Man, it's for the people. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it free in the App Store where you get all the other things. Yeah. You going to check it out? Sounds amazing. Cool. We won you over. Look how effective this ad is. <gasps> yeah. Pay, pay us more money, folks. <laughs> that's that's advertising in action. You see? Works. <laughs> see, that's how good we are at selling things. We're doing this. Hey, yo, Harold, hit me up, man. I am an advocate and I can market your stuff because look how great we just marketed Overcast. We just gave an ad for them and an ad for us. I think it's time to get the fuck out of here. Let's do it.